Hey, this is Scott Klosowski. You've landed at The Digital Optimist, a podcast that looks into the future of technology impacts on the world. Yeah, I see a brighter future coming, so jump into a few episodes and see if you agree. Here we go. The last podcast in the machine intelligence series about cognitive computing. Uh, you know, I, I'm a learner. I love to uh, write down lists of things that I'd like to learn more about, and then I focus on those things and, uh, you know, dedicate some hours to learning them. Uh, always been that way. Uh, it, let me tell you a story. Uh, there's two pieces to the story. The first one is the uh, Alexa. So when the Echo first came out, when Amazon first announced it, uh, my son and I were right on the ball getting one. We got it. Uh, we'll never forget it. Uh, he sets it up in his bedroom. We go in, we start asking it all kinds of questions. And we just wanted to see, well, how smart is Alexa? How well did it understand what we were talking about? What could it answer? And the other thing we were doing is we were benchmarking the intelligence of this device uh, when it was first born, in other words, in the early days. Now, that gives me the capability to this day to keep asking Alexa questions, seeing how well uh, it can do the natural language processing and understand what I'm saying, see how many answers that it can bring back. And uh, if you would have done that indexing, you would have noticed that it's outstanding how fast Alexa is learning new topics uh, and gaining an ability to really translate what you're trying to say in English uh, you know, or what you're trying to say verbally um, into the commands that you might want to be doing, right, or the questions that you might want to be asking. And so my interaction with Alexa has been interesting. Let's just say my relationship with Alexa, uh, the Amazon Echo, my relationship with Siri, my relationship with my, uh, uh, my Apple HomePod, right, all of these different devices that I have that have an AI built into them that can actually talk to me and that actually learn uh, has been interesting. And I, I have just continued to really kind of uh, stop and e examine how fast are they growing, how fast are they getting better. Now, the other day, uh, I had written down a note to myself to go load the uh, application called Replica, R-E-P-L-I-K-A. And it's an application that uh, has an AI uh, chatbot, if you want to call it that, right, or a person and you can set up and configure the person. You can even configure the type of relationship you want with the person. And then you start talking to the, to the replica. And you give it a name. And then as you talk to it, it learns more about you. It interacts with you. And it does it in a fairly human way. And uh, most of you are probably familiar with uh, the concept of the Turing test, uh, that you, you, you will know that an AI is completely accomplished when you can talk to it and you would have no idea that it wasn't a human on the other side if you couldn't see it. Now, replica is not there, but again, it's just another in the string of interesting things that I'm keeping an eye on as far as, well, how human uh, is this cognitive computing device, right? Now, let's talk about this word cognitive computing. And this is where we're going to end our machine intelligence series, because we've talked about AI. We've talked about machine learning and deep learning. We've talked about sensing and sensors and the ability for a computer to hear, see, smell, 
and talk to us, which of course is the NLP, the natural language processing piece. So now what I'd like to do is start combining these. Let's start combining what happens when you take some of these elements in the machine intelligence ecosystem and you mix them into a recipe. Uh, so, for instance, you could take uh, robotics and you could add AI and machine learning, right? And then you have an, a, a machine that's got some intelligence, some ability to learn and improve its activities, right? So, as you mix these different elements of machine intelligence, you, you get different outcomes. And uh, let's just put the word on it of cognitive computing, and I want to give some credit to IBM. You know, for as far as I know, IBM is one of the first ones or certainly the main ones or the main people that use this term or come out and try to define this term. To actually make sure we give it even a little bit more definition for those of you that are really not that familiar with the concept of cognitive computing, let me start with the, the Webster's Dictionary version of what is cognitive. What does it mean to be cognitive? Right? Their version is relating to or involving conscious mental activity, such as thinking, understanding, learning, and remembering. Now, I wanted to unpack those for just a second. If we take this definition of cognitive literally, and we look at these three, thinking, understanding, learning, and remembering, it looks like to me that we are now building technologies, of course, that can remember. I mean, that's an easy one. They can store information. Learning, well, we have machine learning and deep learning, so clearly uh, machines can learn in multiple different ways. Understanding, that's an AI, right? An AI is what helps with the understanding. The NLP, the natural language processing, might convert what are you saying verbally into some ability to talk in machine language. But then there has to be an AI that understands what it is that you just said so that it would be able to take some action. So we definitely have those three, understanding, learning, and remembering. The tricky one is the thinking. You know, do machines really think? Well, for that, we would really have to define the definition of thinking, and that gets a little bit tougher because even if we just go get the Webster's version of what thinking means, it might not apply in the new world of uh, computers and technology and what software can do. Uh, if we just take a layman's term for thinking, you know, I might define it as, well, you know, it is the process of taking in information and processing that information to be able to make a decision, an outcome, or something like that, right? Do machines think? So there's a great slide I show when I speak that actually comes from uh, the IBM Watson, one of the founders of IBM Watson. And he was asked one time in a speech uh, the same question, you know, do computers think? And his answer was fantastic. And he said, well, you know, computers uh, think, uh, if you do a comparison, as uh, comparing a person swimming compared to a submarine, right? So if the submarine is technology getting through the water, swimming is what the human does, right? So uh, a cognitive computing device is like the submarine in our analogy, right? And a human would be like the swimmer. So can a machine think? It can think in a form. It may not think as broadly as we do. It, it may not think by gathering in as many different pieces of data instantly through eyes, ears, nose, mouth, right, as we might. Uh, but can a machine think and process? 
Well, it certainly can take in data, information. It can extrapolate and understand what that means, right? If it is uh, unsure immediately of what you might be asking, it has ability to go and look at other things you might have asked and check it against it to maybe refine you know, what its answer might be. So what I would say is, yes, in a fashion, machines can think. They don't necessarily think like a human, but yes, they can think. So there you go, our definition of cognitive, thinking, understanding, learning, and remembering. So we can accomplish that if we just combine components into a recipe like natural language processing, right? Uh, obviously, you know, in this case, that's a way that a machine would understand us as the verbal NLP, right? If we mix in AI, algorithms that can make a decision that have some level of understanding, and then we have machine and deep learning, right? You know, that's the whole learning piece. Uh, and then underneath that all, we have a database, right? We got a big old database that's storing interactions, storing what's been said, what's been asked, accesses huge amounts of information to be able to bring us back something that we might want to ask. Uh, and that's the remembering part. So let's take this further. I mean, let's take this idea of cognitive computing and let's look at it a bit philosophically. Let's unpack it. Let's see if it's going to be good for the world or not good for the world. All right. Now, again, I want to remind you, if we just take a, an a Amazon Echo, right, Alexa or Siri or any, any AI like this, uh, those uh, almost behave in some ways as if they were another person. We interact with them in a way that we would as human beings. We don't have to write code. We don't have to do anything else. We can talk just like we would talk. They understand what we're saying in most cases. And then if they have the ability to, they will give us what we ask for. If I say play a song and they, know they have that song in the database, they'll play the song. If I ask them the temperature, they'll tell me the temperature. If I ask them to set a timer, they'll set a timer. If I ask them how tall is the uh, tallest building in New York, right? it may choke if it doesn't have that information or that ability to go extrapolate what I said to get the information. But basically, uh, the machines are you know, growing in intelligence all the time, and we interact with them. And we're in a bit of an awkward stage right now. If you just kind of look across humanity, there are people that absolutely personify a device like this. It is almost like interacting with another person. They're completely comfortable with it. Uh, they're learning new tricks all the time. They've attached all kinds of devices in their home uh, to an Alexa so they can just tell it, turn on the TV, turn on the lights. And yes, if you're wondering, of course, I have done all those things at our house. Uh, it's complicated, right, because we have a complicated smart home. Uh, but almost everything is attached to Alexa. So we can do almost anything. You know, uh, we can turn the heat up or down. We can turn lights on outside. All kinds of things we can do just by talking to Alexa. It's fantastic. And then what do we do with it most of the time? We play music, right? But we do have the ability to control lots of other things if we want to. Now, that's us, though. Boy, there are people all over the continuum as far as how comfortable they are using a machine like this. And there are a lot of people that absolutely would never do it. They don't know how to do it. It's complicated. They can't afford to do it. Or they don't like the privacy invasion of, well, I don't want a machine that's always listening to me. And I don't want you to think that I, I'm making any kind of statement about right or wrong. I'm just saying there's a continuum about how comfortable people are interacting with cognitive computing devices. Now, 
with that said, yet everybody together, we're at an awkward early stage. We got we got people that don't trust the machine. They just don't trust it. Uh, people who don't understand really how to interact with it. They don't even know what you can ask and not ask or how, what you can do with it. We got a lot of people with flat no interest. We got people worried about it from, a, like I said, a, a privacy standpoint. So we're at an awkward teenage stage with actually being able to use a smart hub or, or any of these cognitive computing devices well. Now, with that said, I also say our, our expertise with interacting with machines like this is growing quickly. Uh, as you know, we haven't had these devices that long. We're just talking about a handful of years. And already, there's some people that are pretty advanced with these. Entire ecosystems of products and uh, other systems that are attaching right, to a smart hub now. Uh, and of course, we will get more and more standards as time goes by, which will make it easier and easier and easier to connect any intelligent device we have to a smart hub so that we can just talk to Siri, a Google, you know, Apple, anything, and it will just do what we want it to do. Now, I think what uh, would, would be helpful is if we start looking at where it's going to go. And, I, and I'm going to walk you through five things that I see as far as where cognitive systems are going to go. Now, to kick this off about where it's going to go, I want to tell you another story. Uh, a story I read just the other day, and uh, it was a mother that was talking about her child. And she was telling the story about how uh, she was asking uh, Alexa a question, and Alexa couldn't answer the question. They're in the kitchen, and she got frustrated with Alexa, and so she kind of yelled at Alexa for not being able to answer the question or be able to help at that moment. And her young child says to her, Mommy, you need to quit yelling at Alexa. It's not polite to treat people that way. Now, you got to think about that for a second. Right? Now, here's a child probably around six years old, you know, who is personifying this, who doesn't really understand that it isn't really a human being. I mean, in their young mind, you know, it acts like a human being. In their young mind, it's smarter than they are. They could ask it all kinds of questions, and it would know the answer to things they don't know at six years old. As you have a generation who grows up uh, with devices like this being completely comfortable talking to an AI, uh, things will change in the world. All of those conditions I said that cause us to be in a kind of an awkward teenage stage, that I don't trust these devices, I don't understand these devices, my privacy is being invaded, those things will go out as the younger generation comes up. Now, understanding that, then let's talk about five things I think we're going to see. The first one is that cognitive devices, cognitive systems, are going to be able to learn without human interaction. In other words, there won't need to be a human to be able to oversee or monitor or help the system be able to learn. More and more, we're going to be able to program these cognitive systems to just study everything on the internet, study everything that's happening around them, the activities that are happening, and to make their own adjustments. You know, look for when they were able to answer a question well, and then answer that question that way from that point forward. Look for when a question did not get answered well and don't answer it that way. Look for a question that was asked that the cognitive system didn't have an answer for, and go out on your own and try to see if you can find an answer the next time somebody asks. All right, just trying to give you a, a simple picture. We're going to have cognitive systems that learn more and more on their own. Now, that might mean technically we're shifting from machine learning to deep learning systems, but for, set aside that technology, just understand the concept. 
cognitive systems are going to be able to pick up the pace that they're able to teach themselves how to improve. That will be a good thing. Number two, the systems are going to be attached to more and more data sources. Now, that impacts so, uh, you know, my number one point, which uh, is they're going to be able to improve on their own. As we attach a cognitive system to more and more data sources, it has an ability, obviously, to access knowledge it didn't have before, but also to make relationships between the data uh, in ways that we didn't before. And so let me give you an example from a human world. Okay, Let's say you know nothing about sports. You just know absolutely zero about sports. Uh, and you're, uh, you're just one of those, uh, let's say, husbands who you didn't grow up with sports. You grew up in a whole different world. You just don't know the rules. You don't know anything about them. And you marry a lady who is an athlete who loves sports, watches it a lot on TV, knows all the rules, knows a bunch of the players, right? So when you put them together, he now has access to her who has all this information on sports. Now, that's going to improve his ability and his knowledge to be able to understand a whole side of life he never understood before, okay? So it's not any different than if we attach a cognitive computing device to a new database, all of a sudden, it's got this whole new source of data that it can access. Now, not only can this husband ask this wife questions like, hey, who won the World Series three years ago? Right? Not, not only can, can she be a source of knowledge about sports, uh, she, he also now gets to assimilate some of that information into his regular life. So let's just say he's a philosopher. And he now gets to see how athletes who are very famous are doing things in the world, right, that are causing new behaviors to be different. Well, he can mix that with his philosophy that he studies, and he can go, huh, now I see how some of the things that are going on in the world are being impacted by sports stars, all right? Hopefully that lands with you, but just understand the concept that whenever you add data sources, there's two things that happen. One, the cognitive system's just going to be smarter, right? It just has more knowledge now. But two, it can make more relationships between all of the data that it's putting in place so that it can maybe see things that it's never seen before, maybe even tell us things that we've never seen before. All right, number three, we're going to more and more see cognitive computing devices embedded in everything else. So it's been interesting watching uh, Amazon, you know, where first it's just different shapes of an Amazon Echo, larger, smaller, then a video-based Amazon, uh, you know, Echo, and then an Echo clock, you know, and then pretty soon, you know, series in your car, right? So this isn't going to stop. You know, once you're able to build a cognitive computing system, uh, we're going to put it in more and more devices so that we can just talk to the device and it will do what we want. Now, obviously, we're getting it in cars already, but start thinking about the, hey, the refrigerators, the microwaves, the sprinkler systems, you know, uh, many other devices around us. Now, you're not going to have an uh, Amazon Echo or a Google Home level AI sitting behind that. It'll be stripped down. But what will it have? It'll have the three ingredients that we've been talking about. It's going to have natural language processing. It's going to have an AI. And it's going to have the ability to do machine learning, right? And why is that? I don't care if it's your washing machine and you're just giving it instructions and getting advice from it, right? asking it a question, how much is this load going to cost me, right? It doesn't matter. 
you don't need a full uh, cognitive computing system. You need one that's scaled down, that's going to be extremely intelligent, but just in the world of washing and drying. But it also is going to want to know you so that if you ask questions, it's going to be able to give answers that are specific to you, not general answers to everybody else. So just look for cognitive devices to be built into a lot of different things because it'll allow us to interact with those things in a much easier way than typing things in or having to look things up on a mobile app, right? We'll just be able to talk to a device and it'll do what we want or give us the answers we want or help us, you know, in some way that we need it to be helped. All right. Number four, cognitive systems will start to know us individually. This is a huge leap and an important one for you to understand. When you look at a smart hub, you know, uh, an Amazon Echo or a Google Home, right? You look at these devices. Right now, their intelligence is general in that uh, they don't know you specifically. They just know you're a human that said the right code word. And anybody in your house who says the right code word, right, is going to be able to talk to that device and get information. It doesn't make a distinction between each of you. Well, we are not too far where we're going to start to have smart hubs make that distinction. You get in the car and talk to the car, it will know that you're the 16-year-old son versus you're the parent, and it will adjust how that car drives automatically, and the parents will have set all that up. It's no different, you know, when you talk to Alexa, Alexa's going to know it's you and not me. So if I say, hey, play acoustic music, it's going to play the kind of acoustic music I have upvoted. If you say play acoustic music, it's going to play a different set of music. Right? And there's a hundred other examples of how a cognitive system will start to know us individually, and then it will react, answer, or help us based on who we are. How is it going to know? Look, this is all audio. Everyone's voice print is unique. Right? It's like a fingerprint. So as soon as you start making distinctions on who is talking to me, which is something we might have to train the system to do, of course, in the early days, from that point forward... That cognitive system will not only be intelligent generally, it'll be intelligent in what you want and what you need specifically. Obviously, this changes the game tremendously because now if I ask for something, it's only going to give me what I want, uh, which means it's going to be much more precise in how it helps me. All right. Number five, co-working with cognitive systems is going to make work easier and more productive. So add up the things I've talked about before, you know, especially the fourth one when I talked about the system knowing me individually. Now imagine going to work and whatever computer you're working at, whatever device, whatever machine, whatever robot, whatever AI you're working with, right? You're co-working with that device. You're going to be able to talk to it and then it will be able to tell you what you'd like to know or take an action that you ask it to take. And again, without you typing anything in, Right? It'll be a very frictionless relationship with that cognitive system built into whatever device we're talking about. Okay, And so that will obviously help us work faster, work easier, right? be more productive. So those are five things I see coming in the future. Now, none of those things to me appear to necessarily be bad, although obviously there are always negative aspects that can be uh, taken out of these. So for instance, privacy. Right, we got to be realistic that as a system knows me personally more and more and more, we got a couple issues with that. 
That means some big technology company somewhere, who likely might be selling my data, is also getting to know me quite a bit better. Hey, it's not me Google searching on my phone anymore. It's me asking five times that many questions verbally, right? So yes, you know, uh, no question, cognitive systems like this may invade our privacy quite a bit more. Uh, then there's even the problem of as a system gets to know you better, it's going to be able to serve you better. But at what point do the big technology companies say, well, look, if we're going to know you and serve you specifically, you're going to need to pay us $20 a month to do that. If you don't want to pay us $20 a month, you can get the general cognitive system, right? It's going to give you general answers. It's not going to store your preferences, right? It's not going to know you as well. Certainly, they're going to get there. And now I'm going to be paying that $20 every month for the rest of my life because I don't want the system that knows me to go away. Well, and then it's going to be $50 a month and then $100 a month. And you can see where this is going, right? So yeah, there, there are some things in the future that we're going to have to keep an eye out. But there are three things that I would say I think are wonderful outcomes of us integrating with cognitive systems. The first one is we're going to learn faster. And we're going to learn faster because it's going to be so much easier to ask, you know, multiple devices to, for information. You know, not crazy random information, but information about, you know, that specific device and what it's doing. So, again, let's go back to my washing and drying machine example. Uh, and I said to you, being able to ask it and say, how much is this load going to cost me? We don't know that today. We flat don't know that. Well, that's absolutely going to be built into washers and dryers with their cognitive, you know, NLP-based systems that we can talk to. And th that'll be the kind of question we would ask where we would learn things we've never known before. We're going to be able to ask it, hey, if I wash all the clothes that are in the washer right now, please take a look with your sensors. If I wash all those clothes with those colors in cold water, will it be just as good as if I wash in hot water? And the system may come back and go, no, I can smell with my sensors, right, that we got some problems here with these clothes. They're particularly rancid, right? And so you're going to have to use some hot water to sterilize these. The cold water isn't going to work. Right? We can't ask those questions today of a washer and dryer, but we will be able to, and that will help us learn a huge amount of information we don't know today. So maybe it would be easier to think about it this way. When you're surrounded with cognitive systems in your life and you're able to interact with all of those and ask questions you know, daily, the amount of new information you're going to absorb is... 100, 200% greater than what you absorb today. And so we will flat learn faster. All right, number two, obviously they're going to make our lives more convenient and save us time. I mean, that's, you're not going to have to type things in. You're going to be able to ask all kinds of questions or get help on things you haven't been able to get help on before. And so it, it's going to make our lives more convenient. Uh, and a big chunk of that, like I say, is saving time. Being able to ask a device to just take care of something, and it can. Uh, let me give you an example. I'm going to go back to my washer and dryer, right, that have a cognitive system built in. One of them starts to have a bearing go out. I can hear the bearing go out. I'm not going to fix a bearing in the washer. It's just not going to happen, right? But I'm going to be able to say to the washer and dryer, hey, would you uh, just go ahead and call the maintenance people and have the maintenance people come uh, help you? And it's going to be able to do that on its own. Right? It's going to be able to go, yep, I know who your maintenance people are. I'll just go ahead and give them a call. All right? Or it's going to come back and say, well, you don't have a default maintenance group. Would you like me to pick one for you? And you're going to say, yeah, pick the cheapest one. Right? Pick the best one. Pick the closest one. Right? Whatever you're going to say, and it's going to go ahead and do all that for you, saving you time 
being much more convenient. All right, number three, what I love about this in the future, uh, they're going to make work easier. Uh, so when I told you that we're going to be co-working with these cognitive systems, they're going to take over tasks that we used to have to do on our own that were kind of boring or highly repetitive. And the, the cognitive systems will be able to just go do those tasks. Could be a research task. Could just be a fixing data or information task. You know, could be rearranging your calendar. I mean, there's all kinds of things that you're just going to be able to talk to the cognitive system and say, hey, would you do this task for me? In a lot of cases, it's going to, and you know it's going to. You know, you're going to be able to say, send an email to this client and check and see if this date and time's okay. And it's going to be able to understand everything you just said, and it's going to go do it, right? So it's going to make us our ability to work easier. Well, that means I am hoping maybe we can work less hours. Uh, we can be more efficient with the time that we do have. And at the time that we do spend working isn't doing boring, highly repetitive tasks that aren't any fun research tasks, right? We can be creative. We can build relationships. We can go do things that humans are better suited to do. So those are three wonderful outcomes that I see coming in the future. Long and short, in the world of the Digital Optimist podcast, cognitive computing is high up there on something that I see that is absolutely going to help the world. Again, as always, there are always going to be some negative things people do around a technology like this. But this one is almost science fiction. You know, for those of us who have been reading science fiction for years, of having a new way to interact with machines uh, as if they are humans, as if they are human assistants. Uh, yes, it's two steps closer to the Jetsons. And we're not, uh, we're not getting crazy here because all this technology exists today. You know, as I gave you examples of uh, Alexa and Google Home and Siri, you know, we're one short step away from these things being built into appliances and built into a lot of the other things in our life. So... I believe it'll take a generation or two to get over the fears, the concerns about relating to machines in this way, but it will happen. And it will happen because we know that any tool that we invent that helps make our life easier, better, more convenient, saves time, helps us learn more, anything that we invent that crosses off those boxes, we'll get it, we'll want it, we'll keep it, we'll use it. So, It'll take a generation or two, right, to wash out the folks that it's just too big a leap to interact with machines in this way. And this, this will become more of a common thing as it becomes more common, more manufacturers build it, more companies use it, figure out how to make money from it. And then, of course, we get into a huge upcycle, right, of innovation. And so we are standing on the threshold of this. Just get ready for a world with a lot more cognitive computing in it, and it will be a good world, I promise you. All right, that wraps up our series on machine intelligence. And by the way, we threw in the bonus Centaur podcast, uh, which is somewhat related, uh, just to make sure people understand the concept of being Centaur, uh, you know, a highly evolved human and a highly evolved uh, technology skills. If you didn't catch that podcast, you need to go back one and make sure you listen to that one, right, so that we can then go forward. Our next series is about automation. Now, when I say automation, I don't want you to go, oh, how boring. You know, everyone's been automating for years. You know, our organization's automating all the time. I don't want to hear about automation. Don't look at it that way because I'm going to not only be examining what's going on with automation in organizations, 
We're going to be looking at what happens in automation in lives, what happens to automation to an individual person. Like we're going to break down automation in some different ways that maybe you've ever thought about it or heard about it before. And again, this one kind of ties into the whole machine intelligence series we just got done. Because that machine intelligence series is the main backbone to automating things. So now we need to look at what's the outcome of using that whole machine intelligence ecosystem as we do our next series on automation. All right. Hope you enjoyed today's. Uh, We will be back soon and get started on the automation series. Uh, As always, if you uh, would like to know more, you can go to the Future Point of View website, fpov.com. You can go to my personal website, klazoski.com. There's always more resources there if you want to pick up some more resources or follow some of the other content that we put out. All right. Have a good rest of your day, my friends. Thank you for listening and giving these ideas a chance. Let this be a two-way conversation and connect with me on Twitter at sklazowski or on LinkedIn. I also write a blog that you can find at scottklazowski.com. An added bonus is a library of thought-leading graphics you can download from the site. One more thing, please take a moment and rate this podcast on whatever platform you use. Ideas are powerful change agents and positive reviews will help spread the digital optimism. 